Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey, I'm Joe Levy, and on the latest episode of Inside the Studio, I sat down with one of the all-time great singer-songwriters, James Taylor. We talked about his new album, where his music comes from, and how telling his life story through his songs has helped him. Music saved my life, but I was lucky also to survive. I did some very stupid, some some years that were, were just really high risk, unnecessarily so, and a lot of people around us died, you know. So join me, Joe Levy, editor-at-large at Billboard, for this and other in-depth conversations with the biggest artists in music. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here uh, right now for this intro piece at the Pont Studio here in Atlanta, Georgia. But as you will soon learn, this episode was recorded at our Hollywood studios. Very fancy Hollywood studios. Actually, they're not fancy at all, but they're great. Uh, right there in the heart of Hollywood, I went out to L.A. and got a few episodes in the can. And this one is with Mr. Ben Acker. And Ben, if you don't know his work, uh, was the co-creator and writer of the wonderful live show Thrilling Adventure Hour that ran for years in Los Angeles. Um, kind of like an old-time radio show. Just really, really great stuff. Uh, and it was also released as a podcast that you can still get. Uh, ben is a writer for Marvel Comics. He is a writer of screenplays. He has written uh, Star Wars books. Uh, ben basically is good with his fingers on the keyboard and is one of my great, great pals. That's why this episode on Miller's Crossing, uh, the excellent, excellent Coen Brothers gangster movie starring Gabriel Byrne and John Turturro. Uh, that's why this one went so long, because we dived deep into one of my favorite movies. And uh, if you're a fan of the Coen Brothers and Miller's Crossing, uh, get ready for a Roman Mars Jaws-like experience with this as we kind of go through the entire movie and really geek out and wonk out on uh, what a great, great picture this is. So <laughs> without any further ado, I'm laughing because I just listened to this one yesterday and uh, to make sure it was all good. And it was just so much fun for me to even listen to it because Ben is so funny. I've often said that if you're in a room full of uh, comedian types that are all joking and riffing back and forth, if you just quietly pay attention to Ben Acker sitting there, uh, making his subtle jokes. He is the funniest person in the room. So without further ado, here we go with Ben Acker on Miller's Crossing. All right, well, let's let's start. I don't do a formal intro. We'll just like kind of keep rapping. You're going to do a formal intro? Or you no, 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 I don't. All right. But we'll just keep talking about <laughs> stuff. Right now? <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, oh, the show's going on. Wait, so starting now is the show? Yeah, I mean, I'll find an entry point. All right. <laughs> that that might actually be a funny entry point. I was going to say. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how shows work, but um, I have heard other episodes of this show. Yeah. Uh, particularly the TIG episode. Man, that was crazy. That was crazy. But also then like the Hodgman episode mm-hmm. where it's like – I mean like TIG had a earth-shaking experience that day in a yeah. good way. And so there was this base of the humanity of her uh-huh. as a, as a, an ingredient. Yeah. And then Hodgman has is a had conversational no memoirist, <laughs> I want to say, where yeah. it's like, well, here's the time I spent working in the video store and what that means. Like the I was uh, I was talking to a friend today, and I was and he has this ability that Hodgman has and that Roderick has to the ir- glassification. Uh-huh. Of a conversation, yeah. Like, here's the personal anecdote, uh-huh. and then let's zoom out and see how that represents all of humanity. And yeah, like, we connect to the people, and yeah. Like, I was like, oh, all right. Well, Chuck's doing this show; he's gonna hone his uh, his interviewing skills. So let's hope that someone in this conversation, because I'm a big like, and then I go, and then he goes, and then a funny punchline, <laughs> and we're done. Right? Like it led to this. And then that, you didn't see that kind. I took you left. And then we go right. And then that's it. Is it about something? I don't know. Let history tell us. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully between the two of us, we'll be able to find, uh, I don't know, some, some of the ethereal quality of some of your better guests. No, yeah. Well, it's just us having a good Acker and the Chuck conversation. Wait, I'm a last name and you're a first name? <laughs> yeah. All right. I yeah, mean, Acker Bryant. I don't know if that's, if that, if that's unfair in your direction or my direction. I don't think I've ever called you Ben, though, have I? I don't know. Sounds weird coming out of my mouth. Then probably you haven't. (laughs) There are people who don't call people by their names ever, and then they do, and it's not a big deal, but it sounds like one because the word is new in their mouth or the person is new to hearing that version of their name. Right. Yeah, that was Hodgman, right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Paul Tompkins was just in here. Oh, yeah? Uh, But some people call him Paul F. Yeah, sure. Some I don't even know what the F stands for. I meant to ask him. Francis, I want to say. That was going to be my guess. Yeah, because he seems like that kind of guy. Totally. He's a Francis. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and he was going to – actually, his first pick was Topsy Turvy. But that sure. movie is impossible to find on demand or streaming or iTunes or YouTube. Uh-huh. Like I literally would have to buy it. And Downtown find, from a guy. Yeah, find a DVD player. Uh-huh. And I just didn't have time. So he, he went uh, – he said, what about Miller's Crossing? I was like, oh, boy. Yeah, he loves this movie. Um, Did you do it? Did you, is there going to be a two Miller's Crossing? No, is no. Is this the Comet movie of uh, – <laughs> I told him that uh, – Whatever that, this podcast is called? That, that you, yeah. Movie time with Chuck and nobody uh, – a guest? Chuck yeah, and a guest? That's what it's called. What is it called? Movie Crush. Movie Crush. Yeah. It's a good title, sure. right? So Paul went Have with – we started? Uh, yeah, we've started. Okay. So Paul went with uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid as his third pick. Wow. I can't believe I scooped Paul. Yeah, he scooped the the heck out of him. Uh, we can curse too, though, if you want. So you, don't, you don't need to worry about that. Uh, <laughs> so, so you grew up in why do I want to say Baltimore? But I know it's the D.C. area. But was it D.C. proper? No, it was uh, Northern Virginia. Oh, okay. I'm way McLean. off. You're not way off. We had the same radio stations. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you shared what were they all D.C. stations? Um, yeah. Pro- well, no, Baltimore like HFS. Yeah, they're the big stuff. One. Uh, are you from? You're not from around there. You, no, no. You have a twang. Yeah, Atlanta. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. Uh, but you had a, a knowledge of it that maybe you spent some time. There was a radio station yeah. called WHFS that if you ever, like, if you lived there before a certain point, you would. That's how you um, 
that's the shibboleth for other people that live there. You're like HFS, and they're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. gotcha. That was the cool indie alternative station that had once a year, I think maybe twice a year, the HF Festival that was the big like um, Fugazi and the maybe Giants are uh-huh. going to be on on the bill no matter what or right. whatever. Like it was the cool place. And then one day with no warning and no internet, um, boom, it was uh, it changed formats and you didn't know what happened. To your it just went away. Station. Yeah. But uh, that was out of Baltimore? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But you're from Northern Virginia. What's the town? McLean. What's that like? Suburbs. It okay. was like pretty standard suburbs. Yeah. We, um, I went back recently for the first time in a while to find that the uh, Roy Rogers became a McDonald's. <laughs> and that felt like, mm, that's that's about it. That figures. <laughs> uh, and now there's like yoga and stuff. Like, I don't know. It was suburb. It was, it was straight like I went to school with politicians, kids. Oh, okay. Um, Chris Scalia and I went to our first Weird Al concert together. Really? Yeah. Good dude, Chris. Wow. So that's uh, that's the son of yeah. Anton. Uh and Ben Quayle played on like basketball and youth really? and soccer. Like we were in elementary school together. So when his father announced like they announced that he was gonna be the vice presidential candidate, mm-hmm. the difference in my life was going to the gym for basketball practice mm-hmm. and the teams before that were practicing yeah. had Secret Service dudes around. Uh huh. That was it. Really? Yeah. Were you good at basketball? No, but I was tall at basketball. Right. Like, I'm six six now, <laughs> and I was six five two years ago. Like I've been six five forever, but I went to the doctor this past year, and they were like, "You're six six. And I'm like, "No, really? You've grown? Like, yeah, you're six six. That's now. impossible. Which is crazy in my adult life to like gain an inch. I've got reverse osteoporosis. <laughs> not to brag, not to throw it in your goddamn face, but uh, my bones are getting better. Um, I'm taller, but yeah, no, I was I was fine at basketball sometimes, and up I was like post under the under the hoop and get the ball to that guy. Yeah. You're tall. I was all like, people talk about growing pains. I didn't know until recently that it wasn't a, a pretty metaphor for, you know, growing up or whatever, right. that it was a thing that people <laughs> who got tall all at once had. Did you get tall all at once? No, I've been, I was always the tallest one. Um, gotcha. So I recently picked up a basketball again. Yeah. Uh, for the first time in a long time. And uh-huh. I couldn't be more Herman Munster. Yeah, like, it's funny because I used to play basketball. Doesn't stick. And I was okay, uh-huh. uh, believe it or not. And um, I huh? I believe it. You're you good at stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I like spent many, many years without playing at all after playing just recreationally for fun forever. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed at how you lose it. Yeah, you like absolutely. Just the, lose I felt clumsy. It's not like riding a bike. Yeah, but it came back though. Well, but I, not to brag, but I've been on a bike here and there yeah. over the time, and that <laughs> sticks with you. Yeah. Yeah. For like real. Like that expression, ain't whistling Dixie. <laughs> and that expression, well, I can't get, even go from there. Um, so do you have siblings? I have one. Not to brag again. <laughs> uh, my brother. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He's are you, fine. Are you guys pals? We're all right. All right. But I mean- like, I'm, we're not, yeah, we're not um, distant- well, the, I mean, I'm not getting into family therapy, for Christ's sake. I'm no, ta- you're certainly not. I'm not trying with your to, questions. <laughs> I'm trying to get a sense of, uh, of like, you're, you're growing up as it relates to movies, Ben. Right. Okay, so I had a brother. We did not watch a lot of movies together. Okay. We were four years apart, so our tastes were disparate. Uh-huh. Um, but were you into it? Was I into having a brother or movies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> were you into it? Were you, this is going, I love this. This is going to be my favorite one, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I'm like you. Uh-huh. This is the one where you don't have to like talk up to a guy <laughs> that you admire. You're like talking to a mirror. Um, what, what, uh, 
We are kind of like this weird. Uh, what do you want to do? Like I'm like a, a smaller version question. of you. Yeah. Um, like going to movies. That's what and stuff. we are like. I wasn't just being confrontational. <laughs> Uh, going to movies and stuff was like, was that a big passion of yours early on? Yeah, it must have been. Like, I can tell you, oh, I feel like we, I feel like there's a bonus round at the end with quiz questions that I don't want to inadvertently answer in advance. Okay. But I remember, like, early movies going to, like, Ghostbusters and, uh-huh. uh, and, like, the ferals next to it. Like, the experience of going. Like, I Oh, you had those, ferals too? Yeah. Yeah, we had a ferals. Yeah, there's, like, one left in Southern California. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, ferals was an ice cream parlor. With um, like the the vests, yeah, like the, the traditional old school. And, it might as well have been like a nineteenth century ice cream parlor, right? But like, but also like a very seventies ice cream parlor, <laughs> yeah. where like if you order the Matterhorn or whatever, yeah, there's whistles and bells, like literal right. ones, uh-huh. that, as they bring it out to your table. Maybe sparklers, yeah. Like I don't know what in my is my memory and what is like a, a PJ Pooter Toots Ben Stiller show parody of that style of right. ice cream <laughs> establishment, yeah. So you would go to Matterhorn, I think, is Ben and Jerry's. Oh, uh, was it? I don't know. So you would go to movies and go to Ferrell's. No, but I like uh, that the experience of going to this one particular movie theater. Like uh-huh. I would occasionally go to Ferrell's, but it was right next to the movie theater in Tyson's Corner, the mall near my house, where we'd go see movies. Okay, so it was a mall theater, uh-huh. which were the best. Yeah, yeah. And then, but then growing up in like in high school, then we'd got we got that theater. I think went away. The mall reno- renovated, and there were other. Movie theaters in the neighborhood mm-hmm. or close enough that we were like choosy about it. My friends and I were, yeah, we were the kind of people that would like spend too long at Tower Records right. and video, like choosing what to rent because uh-huh. it was important. Oh, yeah. You know? Uh-huh. Uh, and like going to the movies when they came out and that kind of thing. Yeah. Man, I wonder how much time we spent because I was Shooting. the same way walking around mm-hmm. video stores, reading boxes. Man, in college, there was a movie, th- uh, a rental place that was. Chimneys. It was five movies, five days, five bucks. Okay. And I had a pal with two VCRs. Uh huh. And it was like, oh, so you dub them. Let's have all the movies. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember throwing away, like when DVDs became a thing and uh-huh. Netflix especially became a thing. Yeah. Just throwing away, like I think we probably did SLP. Uh huh. So like three movies per. Yeah, yeah. Tape. Oh yeah. Three, per videotape, and just going, never watched that. Never watched those. Goodbye, videotapes. I can get any of these on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good feeling not having to, like, knowing the next time you move, you don't have these big cases of videotapes of yeah. movies you've never. That's kind of the big change of, of digitization mm-hmm. is uh, when we move. That's yeah. really the only change is we well, don't have it's boxes also, yeah, of shit. In your house, you don't have clutter. Yeah, true. It's nice. Well, no, you have other clutter. Do you? Yeah, sure. What do you got? Where the videotapes used to be? What do you have? <laughs> That's a good question. Like, like I realized the last move that I did, books aren't trophies. You can yeah. keep the books that you might reread or lend or have of value to you. Yeah. But if you haven't read the thing and you've had it on your shelf know, for a couple man. years, that's not a brag. That's like tough, if though. someone might read it, yeah. give it to that person. You know, books is something. Uh, books are something I still sort of hold on to. Yeah, but I should. I do too, but not as many. Like I've got yeah. my favorite book series. You know. That I, you know, I collected before they uh, they reissued them, and you could get them all easily, uh-huh. you know. Um, but uh, yeah, the ones that are like, yeah, this would feel good to have read this book, uh-huh. but it it had its chance. Do you do ebooks? I do. 
Yeah, now I do ebooks. I for comics. I read comics still, and Comicsology has obviated the need to have a long box. What is that? Is that a? uh, It's the it's a Kindle for comics. Uh huh. Um, So you made the the leap in full, and the resolution's better for the art. And like they're easy to find once you have them. You can find them and reread them or right. whatever, but they don't take up space on your thing. Yeah. And they don't take up space in your house. Right. Yeah. I think you've sold me. I'm going to well, go burn all my books. Yeah, that's the <laughs> – no, d- here's the thing. Uh, like a major thing was um, a friend of mine. A f- Do you know Brian Whalen? I know him through Paul. He's yeah. a, He was a comedian that came up in Philadelphia with Paul and uh, he works at St. Vincent de Paul. Mm-hmm. And so when I would give away – like when I would be – put in boxes of books like, I don't need these. He'd be like, let me take them because uh, the homeless have literally very little to read. Right. Uh, and then another friend of mine sends his stuff to soldiers, like comics, getting rid of boxes of comics, sending them to soldiers. That, That's great. You know, there's there's good places to put your books that you're not using. What about those VHSs? Uh, <laughs> I, I wonder if they will bust you for throwing away – like – I, I got a replacement for my TiVo, my uh, my DVR box, not the uh-huh. market. Um, when? How long ago? Like they, the thing was fritzing, so they uh, sent me a replacement, and they were like, "Here, put this." But in. you still have TiVo? No, it's a DVR, but like oh, okay. you call everything a TiVo, right? Like it's a, it's the <laughs> it's Kleenex. It's been a of, while. It's the Kleenex of uh, really? DVRs. No, I haven't called it TiVo in a long time. Oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> my writing partner calls everything a TiVo. Like uh-huh. uh, he calls his iPhone a TiVo. Like you just get in the TiVo and go to the store. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you're supposed to throw away one of these things in a, in a specific way. Yeah. Electronic recycling. Right. Yeah. Uh, and did, is it the same for videotapes or there's no actual chemistry circuitry in them? Oh, oh, no. I, they you, won't bust you. I don't think you so. You just throw them in a regular ordinary trash can. Just throw it in the river like everything else. <laughs> yeah. The LA river full of videotapes. Uh-huh. Uh, but so many that it's surging sea of videotapes, <laughs> yeah. of VHSs. It smells plasticky in that way that takes you back. <laughs> yeah. It smells like uh, 2,600 cartridges. That's why people love the LA River. Huh? <laughs> um, all right. So you are going to movies yes. with your pals then? Yes. And not your brother because you, you hate each other. It's not that we hate each other. It's that we hated each other and we'll again. <laughs> Okay, uh, but you and your buddies, you had a, you had a, a yeah. gang of dudes. We had a, uh, not just dudes. There were some ladies in the mix. Oh, okay. I remember vividly seeing True Romance with some, with like I remember the people I was with, uh-huh. and that when uh, Train Spotting was another one that like I remember the the uh, the day of that uh, see, seeing that and with yeah. whom and that kind of thing. Like, but yeah, growing up, yeah, movies were were a thing. Um, I've got a True Romance thing that you might know, so mm-hmm. you can just go. Of course, I knew that. Um, Christian Slater was in it. Yeah, I, I know that. <laughs> Do you know the, the the movie theater where they uh, see the 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 kung the fu movies? Chiba movie? Do you know uh, where that is? No, that's the Vista. Oh, that makes sense. It does. Yeah. No, it's Detroit. Oh. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Like it, it totally like I when yeah, I but lived they didn't in shoot Los... it in Detroit, did they? No, that's what I'm saying. Like when I lived in Los Feliz. And I saw the Vista and then went to the Vista a lot because uh, – It's the best theater. Yeah, it's the best theater. Because uh, what they do is they take out every other row. I know. So you got leg room for days. For days. For And, and it's a it's a fancy it's, theater too. Like it's an Egyptian theme. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Theme. It's tall. But it's, mainly like people – I mean you can see it in true romance probably. People can get up and go pee and walk down the aisle and uh-huh. no one has to move a right. muscle and say, oh, excuse me, can I get by? It's wonderful. But anyway, I was, I I was cool. re-watching it and – it's the fucking Vista. And they put, um, you know, how they fool you is they put a fog machine under a manhole cover uh-huh. 
and steam rises out and you, and they put coats on the actors and then, um, oh, well, that's Detroit. You know what? I watched it recently. It was on TV uh-huh. and I watched it from the scene after that, like they're getting pie after. Well, you might have re- saw, seen it and go, oh man, that's the Vista. I'm saying I, if I had seen once, right. if I had tuned in one scene earlier, right. <laughs> I would have been like, oh, the Vista. And I would have like your trivia would have been ho ass hum. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's such a good movie, though. It's really, I think it's his best. Uh, Tarantino's best script or uh, Tony Scott's best movie? You look back at Tarantino's career, uh-huh. it's his best movie. I'm not saying it's okay. his best script, whatever. I'm saying right. it's his best movie. Yeah. Probably. Uh, let's, let's say this. It's the one I like the best. No, no, no. I'm with you there you for know? sure. Um, it's it, the one Pulp, I can revisit. And you Pulp look, Fiction got a little tired, but it, mm-hmm. it was so it's great. At I'm the not time. against Pulp Fiction, but yeah. like. I don't know if Pulp Fiction feels like an exercise in storytelling, uh-huh. and this is just a like this is a Pulp Fiction story, like a, right. a story out of a Pulp Fiction. Yeah, uh, true romances. Yeah, and like everyone's so good in it too. Everyone's so good in it, and watching it again, and I don't think we're talking about it today. This isn't the movie we're focusing on. True, romance, no, no, but, but we're talking uh, about all kinds of movies. But um, watching it again, it was like, man, that's Christian Slater. Like that's the same yeah. guy that was. In the West Wing and pump up the volume. Uh-huh. Like that's – but like if you think of Christian Slater in the abstract, True Romance I don't think pops up. Like if you were playing a movie trivia game with the films of Christian Slater and you said True Romance, I think the audience would be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, Even right. though he's the star of the movie. Yeah. Right? Totally. Like, and it was like that with – like um, what is her name? Patricia Arquette. Mm-hmm. That's that lady from uh, Procedural. Right. Right? Man, she's, she's Alabama great. Whirly. That's Alabama Whirly. And to this day, you're so cool. Yeah. Is the best compliment anyone can give anyone. Yeah. Right? Like I have said you're so cool and meant it. Yeah. And it's been like I am in a moment where I where I thought that about a person and said like it's like I love you is fine. Uh-huh. Like say that if you mean it. Right. But you're so cool yeah, that's is great. a rarefied yeah. version of that. Like there's no way that somebody can tell you that, and that just doesn't make you feel like the best you've ever felt. You're winning in a drug deal you shouldn't be in. Yeah. Like, you're dominating uh, Saul Rubinick. Yeah. Uh, man. So good. Like, and everybody, every inch of, like, that casting. And then you go, uh-huh. well, I even like Michael Rappaport in this. Yeah. When's the last time you've, li-? like, man. He's great. He's great in Dick it. Ritchie, Dick Ritchie. Uh-huh. <laughs> man, um, I haven't seen that forever. And Gary Oldman just... Choose that scene up, uh-huh, that he's but in. not like he does in Fifth Element, where you're like, I get it. You, yeah, you are, too, a little you're over doing the top. something to this. But yeah, like, yeah, where it's and of course the Hopper walking scene. Yeah, one of the uh, best. But like Brad Pitt. Yeah, condescend me, man. Uh huh. I went and, out and made a honey bear bong after I saw that movie. And I watched when I watched it recently. I mean, let's give that a moment because that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I watched that movie and. Gandolfini wasn't really condescending to him very hard. Like it wasn't. Oh God, Gandolfini! I forgot like, about them. That condescend me suggests that in the script and in Tarantino's head, the lines that Gandolfini was saying were much more oily and manipulative. Right. Like Gandolfini plays it so like just I'm looking for these guys. Do you know where they are? Yeah. And it makes the condescension of paranoia to do with the drugs. Right. That Brad Pitt is on. Right. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's not. It's he's not condescending you, man. No, not at all. Right? Condescending me. But I feel like when I saw it as, as a teenager, uh-huh. I was like, "Yeah, 
fucking grown up is condescending to that person that is the me equivalent of this movie. Not that I was smoking pot in high school or right. anything, but like the guy with the power is really by dint of the power structure set up in this movie. Yeah. The standing guy is really dominating the laying down guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. Uh-huh. Oh man, that's great. It's all power dynamics. Everything visually. Is- <laughs> um, all right, well, we should get into Miller's Crossing then because uh, never seen it. <laughs> I uh, this has long been well. I love the Coen so much; it's hard to say my favorite. But Miller's Crossing was always up there to me. Uh, Pre Fargo, mm-hmm. I would say Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink were probably my two favorites. But um, they. Every, I love everything, so it's like picking your babies, you know? I came late to Miller's Crossing, which is why I think I love it so much. Oh, interesting. Like, it wasn't one that I saw at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, it was one that, like, it was one of those, oh, right, Miller's Crossing is one by them. I right. should check that out. Okay. Uh, like, recently, like, in my 30s, probably. Is when you first saw it? Mm-hmm. Wow. And it knocked me out. Yeah. Right? And then the second time I saw it, I didn't remember anything about it. Mm-hmm. Other than I really liked it. Was the second time today? No. Oh, okay. This is probably the fourth or fifth time. Okay. Uh, and recently I was on a podcast talking about Barton Fink, which oh, I rewatched. And I loved Barton Fink. Uh-huh. And rewatching it, I really like Barton Fink. Oh, interesting. Didn't hold I, up as well? It didn't hold up as well because I feel like I was – it it washed over me the first time. Yeah. The, the first bunch of times I saw it. And now I'm watching it to talk about it specifically on a podcast and going, uh-huh. this doesn't make sense and maybe it does and like let me try an interpretation of what this is about because of this and yeah. that and visually this and the other thing and like that's interesting but it's not the narrative that I thought it was mm-hmm. and it's it's repetitive in a way that's like, boy, I don't like Barton Fink as a guy. Like I sympathized with him the last time and yeah. this time I'm like, just let John Goodman finish – yeah. Right? Like, and that's what it's about or whatever. But, like, I was worried going into this viewing of Miller, Miller's Crossing that I did today uh-huh. that, like, maybe the spell would be broken. And it wasn't. Yeah. This movie is phenomenal. It is. Uh, 1990. So I saw this. I saw this in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you remember that experience? Yeah. I mean, I was early to the Coens because I happened upon Raising Arizona at the Dollar Theater mm-hmm. when I was in high school. Um, cause we would just go to the dollar theater after church on Sunday nights a lot. Um, you just had a look. No, I was just like, <laughs> I, I did never, I'm not a church person. Yeah. I'm not so either. The idea of, but the idea of going to church and getting out uh-huh. at nighttime yeah. as a guy who only knows about church from like daytime movies and, and shows about it. Yeah. Thought it was a daytime thing or like a midnight mass thing. No, no, but no. But the idea that like, like yeah. you go to church and I'm like, the, the look that you saw was me going, did church last all day or no. was there like a late shift to church? There, there's, there's two shows. Uh-huh. There's the matinee. Uh-huh. Which is the one that conventional wisdom's uh, – like yeah. if you don't know about church. That's the one you dress that's the up one you to. you think about. Okay. Oh, so there's a casual Friday late shift. Yes. Like, there's a casual Friday late show on uh-huh. Sunday evening. Okay. Um, it's kind of funny to think back that – After supper? Church was twice a day on Sundays. Yeah. So weird. Was it after dinner? Um, geez, that's a good question. Dude, Thank I went you. to church on Sunday interview. morning, Sunday uh-huh. night, and Wednesday night. Oh, you did both shows? Yeah. And a third. Oh, you know what it was? I think Sunday I night was uh, Sunday night was like youth group mainly. 
Okay. It's it's hazy. It's been a while. But it's so it, it might have been like you're not going in for the full. There's not a sermon. There's oh, not more. I know what it was. All right. This is very important. I'm I'm trying not to hold your feet to the fire. <laughs> Sunday morning was uh, formal church, right? With the adult choir uh-huh. in their choir robes uh-huh. and the all that whole choir. whole deal. Uh-huh. Yeah, adult choir. Yeah, the sexy choir. I would choir. watch that show um. on Cinemax. <laughs> hey, after church, do you want to have adult sex? <laughs> And then the the night church was casual. Night church. And I would also watch that show. <laughs> night church was casual, and um, we sang the the youth choir sang, but we didn't wear robes. It was just like t shirts and jeans. Yeah, it makes more sense. And um, yeah, and then there would be like the youth group would always go out and do stuff afterward. Uh, that was mainly. Oh, why so you and went. your church friends would go, not you and your family. Me and my church friends would right. go to the dollar movie quite often after night church. Would you like? Take a buck out of the collection plate for your movie? <laughs> no. No. I did tell this other story, though. It was the 99-cent movie, and it was it was kind of adorable looking back. Cause they, had a, a, they took it seriously. They had a big stack of pennies. And <laughs> when you bought the ticket, they would slide a penny in your ticket across the thing, which is kind of neat. And it was just a like a, a county fair ticket. It wasn't like, here's the movie you're seeing. Uh-huh. It just said, you know, admit one. Nice. So anyway – that's a long way of getting around to the fact that I saw Raising Arizona by chance. I was We just went, uh-huh. and it blew me away. Yeah. And I had never seen anything like it before. Uh-huh. And it was a really kind of monumental – it was just kind of a sea change movie for me as far as like, wow, this is different than anything I'd seen, and this is what movies can be. For me, I had that same experience, but for Hudsucker Proxy. Oh, Okay. No. Well, you're younger than me, so that for now. that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like that's your raising right. Arizona. Yes, and it really is. Like raising Arizona doesn't do it for me. Okay. Um, and I got into this on the other podcast, but what what show is that? Uh, well, it doesn't come out till January. No, but when what's the name of the podcast? Right, it's uh, Craigslist. Oh, and it hasn't even debuted yet. No, it come. It's out. But oh, okay. my episode doesn't come out in January, and I don't want to spoil. Right, right. Uh, that they're going to do Barton Fink with me in January. Well, no, this will probably be after that even. Okay, great. Because I got a big, I got a big kitty built up. That's because you're a professional. <laughs> Craigslist. Craigslist. Craig? Craig Kakowski um, watches. He he's the kind of guy. He's an improviser and a mm-hmm. thorough uh, genius brain. Uh, and like a thing in improv is like uh, know everything about everything. And Craig like was already doing that, so improv was a great home for him. Right, and he would make lists. Of his favorite everything, so uh-huh. he's going through his top 100 favorite movies in order oh, wow. and subjecting his wife Carla to them. Uh-huh. So uh, they're watching together, and she they do not share a taste. So it is fun tension uh-huh. to like will this podcast destroy their marriage? Is the implicit question. And how does the guest figure uh, out? And then they have guests to talk about movies from. And they're both in there. Uh, yes, Craig and Carla are in uh-huh. there with a guest sometimes, and sometimes just the two of them. Oh, that's fun. It's a great podcast. It's All right. really fun. I'll check that out. If you like movies or Craig or Carla. Well, I don't know them, but. Yeah, but you will. Oh, man, you'll get insight into them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sounds like fun. I know Emily would love to do a podcast with me, and I'm like, no, we can't do that. Because no, you have a marriage. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so that was, Hudsucker Proxy was your Raising Arizona. Absolutely. But... I walked out of that theater in DuPont uh-huh. Circle going, that's what they can do? Yeah. And like. I was reading. Uh, I was reading up about Coen Brothers movies today for because mm-hmm. I like to prepare as a guest. Uh, and the reviewer, this guy uh, for the Atlantic, did this 
for the anniversary of Blood Simple. Yeah. Oh, God, uh, what a great movie. He's like, here's all the Coen Brothers movies in order and like what I think of them and, uh-huh. and Stray Notes and that kind of Ooh, thing. Ooh, I gotta check that and out. And he was like, Hudsucker Proxy is the, almost the worst one. And I couldn't uh, disagree more. Yeah. I love um, that movie. It's great. And, but like you can see in the stuff that I've done, it's influenced. Like you can uh-huh. see, you know, the oldie timey of it. Yeah. Um, and the like, but, but it's not about the oldie timey. It's about character. Like that's just a, a, a sheen on it. And mm-hmm. the characters get to be eloquent or be hokey or be whatever they are. Right. Like you can, like there are a couple of things that like now that I've done the show that I've done, I've, I did a show for a while called The Thrilling Adventure Hour, yeah. which is a stage show on the style of old time radio. Uh-huh. If you're unfamiliar with me as a person, I don't know why you're listening to this, but I did that thing <laughs> and it's available on iTunes forever. But, uh, the I can see now that I've stopped doing that show every month all the time, and it's uh, as a thing that I've done. I can look at it and go, "Oh, the Tick was an influence. Oh, right, um, Hudsucker Proxy, like the things that I like that come back up to me yeah. at times. I can go, "Oh, that really, I internalized that in a way, yeah, that I wasn't aware of that I, that I was doing that, like comics that my my grandmother kept that were my father and uncle's old comics, right? The, the looking at culture as a as a way to look at History, uh-huh. you know, like a different time and place. Uh, culture is a, a thing that, among other things that it did, transport you, which is part of what I love about Miller's, Miller's Crossing and doesn't resonate with me in Raising Arizona, not right. because it doesn't take place in another time, but for some reason the um, dialogue in it takes me out of it. I don't yeah. know if it's the dialogue or the delivery or what, right. but the com- the even more ludicrous – Turns a phrase in mm-hmm. Miller's Crossing make me want to hug this movie. Yeah, and in and Raising Arizona, I'm like, I I, I see the seams of it. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe the South mm-hmm. is a the South it was Arizona. Okay, <laughs> uh, yeah, that makes sense. That tracks. <laughs> but like that kind of like hey CD yeah, character, yeah. right? I hear you. Like feels like a specific choice that is like not playing to the top of the intelligence of characters. Yeah, although I'm sure the Coens don't do that. Right. Necessarily. Or they do it universally and so it should be a complaint across the board. Yeah. But generally that, that accent makes me suspect of the thing I'm going to watch. Is it going to be uh-huh. um, smoking the bandit time? Right. <laughs> no offense to you. I hear you're a lovely southern drawl and all I want to do, do is – Do I have a southern drawl? Yeah. A little bit? Yeah. No. No. More than somewhat. Come on. Yeah? You, you do. No. That's an impression. Of me? Yeah. Of me? <laughs> Oh, come on. I don't How, oh, come on. How to howdy. I'm Chuck. You suck. You put two syllables in Chuck every time you say it. No, I don't. Maybe not. Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock. He constantly bricks threes. And he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey, it's Ben, Henry, and Marcus, hosts of The Last Podcast on the Left. Our show's dedicated to uncovering hilariously horrifying stuff. And now we're only on Spotify. Join us. If you want. Obviously, we'd never force anyone to just blindly join us. That'd be crazy! But if you like stories about doomsday cults who do exactly that and more, please join us on Spotify. Visit Spotify.com slash last podcast to listen free. 
So Miller's Crossing. Uh, we're having fun, audience. I hope you're having fun. We are having and fun. And Chuck, I also hope you're having fun. <laughs> um, that very first scene of the movie, uh, what struck me, and I've seen this movie a bunch of times, mm-hmm. but watched it again the other night, took my notes, and I never really noticed just how quickly it's it picks up a story already in progress, basically. The thing about this, yeah, one of the things I love about the movie is how dense every line is. Oh, man. Like, the script. It's so good. There are certain movies that make you, like, they, they're they not subtitled, but they may as well be for how, a specific kind of attention you have to pay mm-hmm. to follow along because it's there. It's oh, yeah. in there. It's in the dialogue, but it's not, it's, it's not simple. Yeah. But it's not hidden. You just have to be with it. Yeah. Um, Brick, you have to really pay attention to this movie to Brick get it. by Ryan Johnson yeah. is one. Uh-huh. Um, that's, that springs instantly to mind to have that same quality that this has, where it's like, there's stuff going on and you don't have to scratch it. You just have to be with it. Yeah. Um, and this is, yeah, this is that. This is, it's such an engaging movie because you have to engage with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, you can't casually watch Miller's Crossing and follow. Right. All the characters and what's going on. But it's right there. Yeah. But if the second you pay attention, you don't have to work hard. You don't have to, excuse me, you don't have to decipher. Yeah, it's not confusing. Right. You just have to pay attention. And the performances are right there with it, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that. And a Polito. Yeah, John. He he just passed away this year, right? Recently. Yeah, man. Um, Man. I mean, he's a dude that's in a bunch of Coen Brothers movies, but. This performance is so good. Yeah. Like he's just he, – I love a movie where you know how everybody smells. <laughs> yeah. You know Godfather's one of those? Uh-huh. Like <laughs> Abe Vigoda in The Godfather is the most I know how he smells. Yeah. Tessio. <laughs> I know that I know that guy. Like he's, he smells like my grandpa but with this liquor and uh-huh. this aftershave yeah. and that suit. Right. You know? And an old cigar. Uh-huh. But like this movie, man, Polito. Yeah. <sighs> His dyspeptic shit. Uh huh. So good. Oh, yeah. When he's just. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. How do you, what do you think? What, what you were about to say, the opening of this movie. I, well, uh, just, I mean, that whole first scene, it, it picks up a story already in progress. Mm-hmm. It's, it immediately establishes it as having like just, uh, and I'll get to the criticism later about some people think it's too scripty. But I think it's just right on the money. Like mm-hmm. so many classic lines, uh, just from the beginning with, uh, with Leo saying, you know, you're as big as, big as I let you get uh-huh. and never any bigger and don't ever forget it. Yeah. And then, uh, in that same scene when Tom has the, uh, he owes all the money to, um, to the guy. I can't think of the name right now. Yeah. The Russian. Yeah. To the Russian. And, um, Leo offers to pay off his gambling debt oh. and Tom says, I'll square it myself. That's why God invented cards. And it's just such it's a so great good. line. There were I, – I took note of – there were a few expressions that they used in this movie. Yeah. That if you use them today, uh-huh. they are – they mean nothing. We used to dangle earlier, which is great. I said dangle, but before I think we started the podcast. Probably. Yeah. But uh, but dangle's great. Like dangle's like the, the catchphrase you get from this movie. Yeah. Dangle's the and, and dangle, game. for those of you that haven't seen it, dangle means uh, leave. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and leave. But there were, I, and the reason I mentioned now is it started in this. The end of that scene is 
something I I don't know exactly the line, but it's something to the effect of you is all a bunch of fancy pants. Yeah, you fancy pants, all he is. All he is, right? <laughs> and fancy pants, that was the first that was what made me notice this throughout the movie, is stuff that you would say now and people would be like, I don't even care. Right. Like it's it doesn't even make a dent. It's not a blip. Yeah. Uh, that was a big insult though. It was like that's the thing is there were a handful of that were just giant burns in this movie. Yeah. It's uh like the hell with you. Yeah. Is like you know, you'd toss it off now, but the hell with you was like a condemnation in this movie. Yeah. Uh kiss off uh-huh. and nuts to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like these are <laughs> these are moments in this movie. Like these are big moments where someone's like nuts to you. It's like yeah. it's the like, big kiss off, say? right? Like oh yeah. yeah. And uh and no, no one would say it. No one would say it yeah. now. Or it's, a twist, which yeah. is something you don't even hear anymore. Right. Uh calling a woman a twist, a woman which a twist. was yeah. uh, a derogatory thing, I imagine. Oh, sure. Because Totoro, uh, as this brother to, uh, Bernie Bornbaum as a brother to the great Marsha Gay Harden even said, she's a sick twist. Yeah. Because, you know, she even tried to teach me a thing or two. Yeah. And the, yeah. In the sack. That's yeah. what they're talking about. <laughs> um, God, we're going to bounce all around here, but, uh, I have to mention the score by Carter Burwell. Just Amazing. one of the great, great movie scores of all And time. all variations on a traditional Irish song. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It, was it a specific song? Do you yeah, know? Yeah, it was. I, oh, okay. In the reading that I did today, I uh-huh. couldn't tell you the name of it, but I could tell you that Gabriel Byrne pitched it to the Coen brothers oh. uh, during shooting, and they listened to it, and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I bought the soundtrack on CD, uh, and I didn't do that a lot when it was just purely score, mm-hmm. um, but this was one of Yeah, I bet too. I would listen to this Yeah, uh, in writing things. So great. Um, and Gabriel Byrne, originally supposed to be... Uh, Acclimated, like what's the word? Naturalized? No, it's not the word. When you uh, when you have no trace of the old accent, you become like oh uh, yeah, like but, me with my southern accent. No, <laughs> like you with your southern accent. Gabriel Byrne was like, let me keep my original accent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, has he ever been better than in this movie? Uh, not according to the internet that I read today, yeah. and not according to things I've seen him in. I mean, he was uh, a good and usual suspect. Yeah, but he was. Great in this. Yeah, great. And like, like if Gabriel Byrne, I don't know how he feels about his career, but he did, he played Tom Reagan in Miller's Crossing. And like, he yeah. can sleep at night knowing oh, yeah. that I was fucking Tom Reagan in Miller's Crossing. Yeah. One of the great, great parts of all time. It's so good. It's so good. He's, oh, that's, I feel like I'm going to not offer insight so much as just be like, this part was so good. <laughs> well, it was really good. I liked it. <laughs> I liked watching it and listening to it. Um, here's something I don't know if you know. Crime, huh? I is, just don't know. <laughs> well, first of all, he, he gets his ass kicked through the entire movie. Yeah. I lost but count. But everybody like, respects how many... him so much oh, yeah. that they don't break any bones. Yeah, yeah. But every like I, I lost count at how many people punch him in the oh, face. Yeah. Uh, and then I noticed, and I've seen this movie so many times, I've never noticed this. He doesn't hit anyone in the entire movie. No. All he He just accepts the beating from whoever's giving it to him, whether it's Marsha Gay Harden uh-huh. or or the uh, the the toughs that come to you know the loan shark guys, mm-hmm. like everyone in the movie kicks his ass through the entire movie. Leo kicks his ass in that great scene, oh, yeah, all the way down the hall and down the stairs. Yes, uh, that woman that he falls into, she kicks his ass. Uh, him walking out the door and the loan sharks come, like hitting him like yeah. out of nowhere. It's so good. <sighs> like my uh, insight, it's so good. No, I mean, but that's what this movie is yeah. like, is totally geeking out over this. Uh, and lines like, 
uh, if I'd have known we were going to be casting our feelings into words, I would have memorized the Song of Solomon. <laughs> so great. Amazing. Like, how do you write a line like that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. You got to be the Coen brothers. Yeah. Or they, nothing more foolish than a man chasing his hat. Like, I say is, that still. Apparently, this movie is that. Like, this movie is. About a hat. About a hat. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's definitely a hat. You just track, you just track his hat. Yeah. And he's not, if he's not wearing it, you, you're not sure. But he is. Uh, he's yeah. in control the whole time. Like, uh-huh. I don't know. It's great because it's, they don't really, a case could be made that this is a movie about a guy who loves a girl, right? Yeah. I, the very last thing I have on my notes is when it boils down to it, it's a, it's a movie about, uh, Verna and Tom. But it might not, a case could also be made that it's not that at all. That it's about, uh, him and, uh, Albert Finney's character. Yeah, it's a love story. It's a love story between those two guys. Yeah. Like he sees Leo. He sees Leo making a mistake. Uh huh. And he does his best to unmake that mistake for Leo and show him to the point that he throws himself on the bomb of, yeah. like, tells him the thing. And in the end, when Leo wants him back, he's ruined it. He's ruined the perfection of their relationship. Yeah. And, like, and. If that's what the movie is about to you, A, that's a valid read, and B, what a uh, sad thing that we never got to see the relationship. Because yeah. the opening scene is is Polito pleading for Birnbaum's, Bernie Birnbaum's head. Yeah. Like, everything is so personally motivated in this movie. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I love it. Like, uh-huh. I, a, a thing that I respond to and try and do in my own work is as much genre as you put on it, it's not going to be as compelling a story if there's not a personal human yeah. reason to it. And everything in this thing is motivated by love or affection or yeah. desire. Or I had the best teacher I ever had, high school English. Uh, Dave Sherritt is his name. Uh-huh. And he taught Macbeth line by line to a full class of students and everybody got everything. Yeah. You know, he, he, we had to write a paper correlating Michael Corleone with Macbeth. Wow, you know, and the the way into that paper is was his thesis for the class, and I was watching this movie, and it it echoed in my head. I was like, "Oh, this is Dave Sherritt's thesis uh-huh. writ large. Uh, when your reason is overcome by your desire, there's trouble. When your reason is overcome by your desire, there's trouble. Right? Yeah. And that's every character in this movie. Yep. Is defying what they know to be the right course of action mm-hmm. because they because of their desire. Like if if Tom didn't love the woman or love Albert Finney, right? He could he could let he could figure it out. Like he wouldn't get behind the eight ball. Every character was like, "Nope, I want more power than I than yeah. I've been given." Nope, I want to help out this girl's brother because she's nice to me. Like every character, yeah. Every character's doomed because of this thing. Yeah, because Tom, um, you you kind of get the sense early on, even though. The character of Tom would never show it, and he never does show it. That of course he loves Verna, right? Because uh, he like says he it said, right when she wouldn't believe him. Yeah, like well, yeah, exactly. And just like you said, with a with overcoming desire, like if that wasn't there, then it would just be an easy solve, right? There would be no movie. Yeah, he could. Ju- she would just be a twist that he had a fling with, right? And he could tell her to dangle. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but, but she had no. his hat. That's when well, we started. That's, yeah, that's, that's when, when he started. Went here cause, as far as we know. Uh-huh. That might have started before that. Oh, I think it, I got the, I always had the impression that they had already had a thing going. Yeah. 
Did you think that that was their first thing? I thought that I had that impression that they had a thing going as uh-huh. you did, but then the internet that I, the article that I read. Oh, interesting. It was like, this I is never their, thought about this that. was, this was how she had him was she had his hat. It's all about hats. Huh. Well, it is all about hats, but I never considered that. That's yeah. an interesting take. Yeah. Um, well, we got to talk about the Danny boy scene. Yeah. Because it's one of the best scenes ever. And I saw a bit of trivia today that apparently the Coens had that song, um, Custom recorded. Yes. So it would time out. It would time out with perfectly. Yeah, I saw the same. I didn't know that. That's so great. It's really great. Yeah. Uh, that's when I was watching it today. What struck me about that scene was the sound mix. Uh huh. Was the idea that he put on this record. Yeah. So it's, what is it? Exegetic or diegetic? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's motivated within the movie. Uh huh. Right. But it's louder than the guns. Right. So at a certain point, it's soundtrack. It's not. Uh, oh it's yeah. It's not a, a, a sourced within the movie anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like he's outside the house. You wouldn't hear it from the phonograph that he put on. Yeah, the it's that the movie scene. trick. It's the movie trick. Uh huh. And probably that's a thing in movies all the time. Right. Uh. But because this scene is unique, uh-huh. it felt like a real specific choice to make, as opposed to like yeah. we'll do the movie thing of like then it's overwhelming. And yeah, it's, and then it's, it's the on soundtrack. The car it becomes the soundtrack. Yeah, like. This didn't feel like this felt like we, there's a reason why the Coen brothers, mm-hmm. we saw the needle drop. Right. You know, and then it, it overwhelms the, it, it, it's not, it's no longer motivated by that. Yeah. Um, it's a choice more than a movie that just does that to, cause that's how you do it. I yeah. don't know. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe no, no, it's no. Just that's how movies work. I think, that's but, totally but it right. felt like an interesting thing uh-huh. of like, so what does that say about this character who's, uh, unkillable because mm-hmm. he's so badass and tough and like sees things like it's the godlike quality of this character. The reason that he is where he is, yeah. that he sees stuff coming and that he's, yeah. so he's so strong uh-huh. that it works as a metaphor for this guy who like, yeah, I'm going to put this on and it's not just going to come from the, it's going to come from everywhere. It's going to come from above because, right. because I, as a character am, am God here. Yeah. Yeah. You can burn down my house, but I'm going to burn down <laughs> your car with you in it. <laughs> Well, a few things about that scene that get me every time are um, just the how he how he notices with the smoke coming up mm-hmm. through the cracks in the floor, uh, and just the and, time he and takes. Isn't that this movie? Like, yeah. isn't that what's great about the Coen Brothers is the cracks on the floor uh-huh. that smoke comes through that a character notices? Like, it's yeah. so intricate. <laughs> it's it's, it's so, so it's so intricate. Like, it's so it's wonderful of uh-huh. them that they like. Like who would think of? I would never think of that in a million years. Right. That that would be be a, a not a plot point, but whatever a device mm-hmm. to uh, to to move a scene. How's, forward. how's he going to know? Well, he's smart enough to see the the thing. Well, and, anyone and else would say like, oh, he hears got, the gunshot. Yeah, you know, sure, sure. I guess he might have heard the gunshot. But Danny Boy's too loud. It's coming from on high. Well, but that's the whole point, though. Yeah, it's like it's sure. so much more rich. Yes, with the fact that he sees the smoke coming through. There the was, door. I mean, not to. You're talking about the scene, and we'll get back to the scene. But yeah. The where we find out that Rug is dead. Yeah, Rug Daniel. Was that his God. name? I I don't remember the last name, which is why I just said Rug. But yeah. Uh, the the private detective that was sent to hire uh-huh. was sent to follow Verna that might have incriminating uh, detail uh, is dead. And the way that we see he's <laughs> dead, we know his name is Rug. And there's just it's it's a shot of a dog, then a child, oh, man. then a dead fat man in an alley. Yes. And then the kid leans forward. And then it's a three shot of them, uh-huh. 
And the, kid, and the dog has that inquisitive look uh-huh. on his face. And the kid reaches forward and takes the toupee off and it's like, oh, that's rug. Yeah. But. And then, and then as a kid would do, like, runs down the alley, uh-huh. like, I've just done something I got bad. away with it. Yeah. Um, but the way that that just, the way that they parcel out that scene visually, like, yeah. here's a dog. What? Like, yeah. it's a BuzzFeed article. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to show you a shot of a dog, a kid, and a dude. Right. And what happens next may surprise you <laughs> yeah. how relevant this scene is to the whole movie that you're watching. Yeah. Man, that's such a great scene. Um, but back to the oh Danny well, yeah, boy. but Danny Boy, just the um, the the the. I mean, I know it's obvious that he would not rush around, but just the time he takes uh-huh. in putting out that cigar, yeah, he puts on his slippers, yes, and like and, he knows he knows how much time he has, uh-huh. even though he doesn't know. There is two two of the wonderful things in this scene in this sequence. Uh, he goes under the bed. These two guys with Tommy guns bust in the room and he's got like a revolver. Yeah. And he goes under the bed and these guys methodically shoot like straightforward and they're, they're basically strafing the bed. Yeah. In like, on either side, straight of them, line, on either side. But like they'll hit him. Their plan is like we just keep going. So if he scatters out, yeah. like we're going to hit him on the way. Uh-huh. Sometime we're going to hit him. And he just shoots one in the leg, yeah. in the foot, right? Because uh-huh. that's the level that he's at. That drops and then, him. Like, and that drops him. And you think like, okay, so on to the next guy. No, he puts a bullet in the brain <laughs> of that guy <laughs> yeah. whose head is facing him. Like it's just such a, yeah. s- such a wonderful detail. And then the other thing that I love is his stuntman. Oh, yeah. He – this – Albert what, when he goes out the, down the roof? 60 years old, yeah. 70 years old, and he, he exits out the window <laughs> yeah. and then just like, this is like, like a, a gymna- sprightly gymnast <laughs> yeah. makes his way from the top floor to the bottom floor. And it is like – it's at once uh, like the stuntman is dressed the same. Like the, it's not – if you live in Hollywood, right, you get to know somebody and then you watch the Buffy episode that they were on and you <laughs> see that the stuntman looks nothing like the person, right? This – at once this stuntman was like fine and totally proportioned well and dressed the same. Like they spared no expense on an Albert Finney double uh-huh. of a stuntman. Yeah. And on the other, just the fact that he's doing stunts is the joke. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, for sure. But it it doesn't take you out of the movie. Yeah. But it kind of does, but it doesn't, and it's great. Yeah, I kind of I buy I buy it every time. And then, of course, it, 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 how he ends it, he gets the Tommy gun from the guy he just yeah. uh, brained. Uh-huh. Um, very calmly through the whole thing, walks out in the street. The car's going away. Shoots up the car. Oh, but first he like does the Thompson of, jitterbug. Yeah. He oh yeah, it's just a guy, hail of he bullets. He shoots the guy in the house. Oh, that's right. And shoots and shoots and shoots and shoots. Yeah, and, and that he guy, gets like four hundred bullets in him, and he's shooting. And he's up shooting the, house. the guy who's being shot. Is his finger goes tight on the trigger? Yeah. And he shoots up the house. <laughs> his feet. It's so ridiculous. It's, he just shoots around and around and around, and yeah. then uh, then right. he goes out into the middle of the street. Leo goes out in the middle of the street and uh-huh. just shoots the car till it's dead. Yes. and explodes in a ball of flame. And then what does he cars do? in history? What does he do? He takes the cigar out of yeah, his pocket that's what he does. and finishes. Yeah. With that Tommy gun still smoking. Mm-hmm. And Danny Boy fades out. Oh my god. It's just it's I get the little like chicken skin right now. It's so great. Well, after this we're gonna get some chicken skins. <laughs> uh all right, so Tom Reagan commits uh one act of violence in the movie that I can that I tracked and it mm-hmm. was in the last ten minutes. Yeah. Um again, he just gets his ass kicked through the whole thing. And then you know he's what I, punch. I conflate this movie with sometimes. Do you ever see My Blue Heaven? Yeah. Steve Have you Martin. seen it lately? No. I saw it lately and it's really weird. Oh, no, like, really? It's from a weird time in movies where like – Yeah. I don't know. That 80s thing of what a woman is uh-huh. 
is just a little like yeah. And Rick Moranis is a hero type in it, right. like when he kicks the ex husband out because she can't do it. Like it's, yeah, like don't do that in your movie. Right. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't make her swoon over the, that thing. But in the end, there's such a great turn. Steve Martin plays this mob guy who's relocated into right like, um, the suburbs. The suburbs. And and it's really just an excuse to trot out like this weird Italian character that he's doing, yeah. Who like really misses actual Italian food in the <laughs> suburbs. And the whole time, like, there's all this the threat of violence. He's a, he's a rat. He's going to get whacked and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And his thing is, he doesn't believe in guns. And at the end, he's making some point that he wants to make that he's turned stuff around and is the hero now and cares about community and country and and people in his life or whatever. And uh, a mobster that we thought was done for pops back up. Right. He he shoots him uh, well. Like he ta- he he sh- has a gun. He takes a gun and shoots the guy. Yeah. And then throws the gun away to keep making his point. And Miranda says, uh, "I thought you uh, didn't. You'd never fired a gun." And he just goes, "I lied," and keeps talking. Uh huh. <laughs> and for some reason, I put that on Tom in this movie uh-huh. of like because a big such a big deal of him not. Not being a guy who shoots people, he yeah. uses his, his mind. Right. Uh, that in the end, I just put a little bit of my blue heaven right. <laughs> in my memory on it, which uh, is disrespectful to Miller's Crossing. And I'm sorry to sure. this movie. I apologize to the movie Miller's Crossing. Uh, well, I mean, of course, that first act of violence he commits is the the great scene where Bernie finally gets whacked. Yeah, um, Bernie who the whole, gives him a chance. You know, the whole movie is about Bernie Birnbaum. Yeah, I mean, has there ever been greedy. a bigger slime ball than Ugh. Bernie Birnbaum? Like he sets everything away. Bernie Birnbaum didn't spoil the uh, the odds that gamblers have. Yeah, yeah. Then none of it would have happened. Yeah, that's true. He was the original one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the opening scene with Polito is beg is not begging is as a courtesy. Yeah, right. I want to whack Bernie Bernie Birnbaum. Yeah. And no, I can't extend you that courtesy because I'm sleeping with his sister. Right. So good. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's just such a scumbag when he shows up and says, you know, I thought, you know, you let me go, but if, uh, it might not be very good for you. Mm-hmm. And then he says basically what he wants or, uh, or I start eating in restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> I start eating threat. in restaurants is such a great threat. <laughs> it is. Uh, oh man, there's so many good scenes too. Like, um, that's the thing is as the movie lays out, you're like this, that, like, yeah, it's great scenes. It's great lines and scenes. Everything is, just but it all weaves together so perfectly weaves together. I love Mike Starr. Who is that? That's his name. I think he's the heavy that, uh, is left to beat Gabriel Byrne and Gabriel Byrne's like one second. Oh. He gives him a second. Yeah. Gabriel yeah. And puts his, his coat on the chair and then <laughs> hits, hits the dude. The it's this dude that's just a one and a half size bigger. Like he's uh-huh. half again as big as, as Gabriel Byrne. And so Byrne hits him with the chair and there's just this moment. He goes, ah, oh, jeez, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like he's, he's, uh, his manners. It's a, it's a manners thing. Like you don't do that to the guy that's supposed to beat you up. Yeah. He got his feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. So he walks out and comes back with some more guys. Well, yeah, but he comes back. The funny thing is he comes back with that little old guy uh-huh. who, who's just like, you know, he fucking means business. Yeah. And he kicks his ass. Yeah. He d- grabs the chair. That's like, actually it swings uh, at him. I have under the, uh, the trivia here, the line, Jesus Tom is said eight times in the movie. Yes. Uh, three times by Leo, one each by Frankie Mink, Bernie. Chief O'Doul. Oh my God. And Mayor Lavender. Can we talk about how great Mink is Lavender. in this movie? Yeah. Like, Steve Buscemi has one scene. Yeah. Right? One uh-huh. scene. Yeah. The fast talk. I think that was the first, maybe the first time I saw Steve Buscemi. Barton Fink, you didn't see? No, but Barton Fink, 
Oh, yeah, it did come out before this mm-hmm. because they famously got writer's block on Miller's Crossing and wrote no, Martin, Martin Fink, Fink in like three weeks. They got. Oh, yeah, that's right. Isn't that right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So maybe this did come out before. No, I think that's what happened. I think – because yeah. I don't want to look it up because they, right, they no, were you're writing – right because I did look it up for the last podcast. <laughs> yeah, they wrote, Miller's, they wrote Barton Fink uh, while they had writer's block for Miller's Crossing. Right, but they would have shot Miller's Crossing before Barton Fink. Okay. Is that how it came I out? Think, yeah. I think that's right. Right. Anyway, call in if you disagree. <laughs> um, but yeah, Buscemi is so good. Like he's yeah. a mile a minute talking. Yeah, with and, his, and twitchy and like yeah. nervous. And, he's doing he's doing a lot of good acting. Yeah, he is. Um, but yeah, the speed at which he – Jesus, Tom. <laughs> and this is like it, – it gets le- – like the, the amount of information they, they get out gets less as, uh, as the movie goes on. Yeah. Um, but they're still like – Here's ten things you got to know, and yeah. thirty seconds to know it. Yeah, like, and all this stylized dialogue with curly cues and corners. Yeah, going around. God, it's so it's dense, beautiful. Uh, so Bernie finally gets in the end. Like, there's never been a movie character that deserved to die more than yeah. Bernie Birnbaum. Oh like, God, he had all boy. the opportunities to do it right, uh-huh. and just that great uh, last when he finally gets it. When you know, Look he, at he, your heart. yeah, he tries that same shtick uh-huh. again that worked the first time. But he already made fun of it to him. All I got to do is turn on the waterworks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Such a good scene. Look at your heart. And then what's the line? What heart? Yeah. Yeah. And you get the bullet. Uh, oh. And then, you know, that last that last final scene where they bury him out at, uh, I guess, at Miller's Crossing. I mean, it's in those same woods. Mm-hmm. And that's when uh, Verna leaves and Tom, and uh and uh, Leo has the great line, well, I guess we're walking mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere. And they just start just sort of walking through the woods. And you get the sense that, like, these these are two old friends again. Kind well, of, It'll but, never be the same. Yeah, everything is. Because they're getting married? Because he's marrying Verna. That's right. She asked him. Yep. Yeah. And it's like the death of their relationship. And that's it. That, like, here's my question. If that, if he wasn't, if Leo wasn't marrying Verna, mm-hmm. and then he asked Tom to come back to work for him. Do you think Tom would come back to work for him? Do you think it's spoiled from the events of the movie that he's never going to work for him again? Or do you think that it's because he's marrying the woman that Tom loves, he can't be around it? I feel like something changed in Tom. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. What was it? Um, I almost get the feeling that Tom is angry at himself for, for having fallen in love. One of them or both of them or – for letting his feelings, like, get in the way of business mm-hmm. and his career. So you think he's punishing himself? Maybe. By not coming back to work? Yeah. I th- oh. It's almost like I get the feeling that after this movie ended, Tom was like, well, I got to uh, – where does this take place? Where is Miller's Crossing? What city is this? Like, let's say it's New like York. It's Illinois or something, right? I think right, it's New Orleans. Oh, is it? No, it's not Or they New shot in New Orleans. Let's say it's Chicago. Let's say it's Chicago. Um I'm just, you know, not saying it's Chicago, but let's say it's Chicago. I get the feeling that after this movie ends, he walks back into town, gets his hat, packs a small suitcase, and moves to New York. Mm -hmm. He just, like, gets – he leaves. Oh, I would watch that. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's – I was watching this going, as much as I love the TV show Fargo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as much as the second season of Fargo is a lot to this movie. Yeah. uh, There's so much to do. Like, Miller's Crossing being a place that they take people to – go and put a bullet in them. Yeah. Like, I would watch the hell out of a Miller's Crossing TV show by the people who brought you Fargo. I uh, would too, man. Like, you can make that happen. Yeah. Uh, two phone calls. 
It's Women's History Month, and there's no better way to celebrate than by hearing from amazing women who are making history and changing the world for the better. Learn from leaders like Katie Couric. I wanted little boys and little girls to see that a woman can do that job confidently and competently. Tori Birch. Women are great investments. That is something I know. Andrea Jung. The concept of a network of women, which can be small or it can be large, is really one of the most powerful things I've had the opportunity to see. And many more. Listen to Seneca Women Conversations on Power and Purpose on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. What did you think about Tom at the end? I thought it was uh, that it was interesting that it's that, that is this a movie about Tom's relationship with Verna or Tom's relationship with Leo? But and, did you? Think and I think it is. I thought it was that Leo ruined it by not trusting Tom. When Tom said, "I never ask you to do this. Yeah, you just have to trust me." Right. And he didn't. I don't ask. I for think much. that was that was Tom going. I'm going to do right by my friend. Uh huh. But that's it. Then I'm out. Like you got to give me this one. No, like him going. I'm I'm not going to like that guy's my friend and I owe him oh, everything. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to fix the problem that he has right now. Right. But after that, I'm done with him. Yeah. Because he didn't trust me. He trusted this woman that's playing him. Right. Who He's, I love. He, but but also the principle of yes, I love yes. Yeah. And so that's going to be a hard thing to reconcile. But that's not the important thing. That this guy who's trusted me said that he trusts this woman as the only one that he trusts as much as me as her and her as me. Yeah. And that's the moment where he knows that she's playing him. That we can't, we'll never have this bond because you yeah. just told me that the person you trust the person lying to you. Yeah. As much as you trust me, who's only after us, what we have. Yep. So Man. that's what it is to me. Is like that. That moment is the death of that possible friendship forever. So great. All right. But I love that I could be totally wrong. Well, no. I mean this is – I think they very much leave it up to the audience. Yeah. You know? And and, But they spell everything out in just what the – like the the stuff of the the plot, the story. Um, so well, and so like that's the dazzling thing is like how the how much information you're getting about the world right. in every line in the first two thirds, two thirds of this movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the why is maybe unknown to the characters, but it feels totally known to the Coen brothers. Yeah, you know. Yep. It's an interesting thing. I as um, I'm working on a thing. I'm writing a thing with some people, and. Like we're figuring out pilot stuff, uh-huh. you know, and um, the instinct once you figure it out, once you figure out like why a character or what a character or who a character or a thing about a character, mm-hmm. the instinct is so we need to establish that. Mm-hmm. And and the strength of going, well, we can save that for a revelation somewhere down the line. It doesn't matter why. We don't need to shoehorn that in. If it comes out because it needs to come out, mm-hmm. that's one thing. But holding it back and knowing – the answer yeah. is going to give you such a richer – Yeah, it's going to engage the audience to speculate on their own right. and, and go, OK, that's a specific behavior. It's motivated, motivated by something. Yeah. And won't that be compelling to know why? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. There's mystery to a character. Yeah. But uh, you know it as the writer. Know. And so like 
It's not, eh, whatever, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's, no, there's a reason, and we'll get to that. Yeah. It's interesting, because that's this whole thing. All right, we finish up with two segments. Me you segmenting know. you, and you segmenting the graph. <laughs> My uh, the favorite joke one. structure. Well documented. <laughs> my favorite joke structure. Um, what Ebert said. This movie is a complete disappointment. This was a little disappointing. Ebert gave this three stars. I read about that. He thought it looked like a commercial for the kind of movie that it was. Yeah. So I'll read the pull quote here. Miller's Crossing seems like a movie that is constantly aware of itself instead of a movie that gets on with the business. I'm also not sure that the other characters in the movie would inhabit quite the same clothing, accents, haircuts, and dwellings we see them in. Because he's talking in the review about the uh, Albert Finney, Leo's office mm-hmm. and how he would never be in an office like that. Which yeah, what? Exactly. Ebert, what? <laughs> Ebert, you got to get yourself an office that you like. Yeah, so you can stop being mad at a pretend character's <laughs> pretend office. Uh, he would never. In the fanfic that I Ebert wrote about Leo. <laughs> Uh, this doesn't look like a gangster movie. It looks like a commercial intended to look like a gangster movie. Everything is too designed. That goes for the plot and dialogue, too. The dialogue is well-written, but it is indeed written. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot here to admire. Albert Finney is especially good as Leo. The crime boss and John Polito is wonderful as Johnny Casper, his rival. Uh, but the pleasures of this film are largely technical. Which Disagree. Is, which is weird. Like, I don't know. All... That's movies. Like the artifice he's describing right. is, is movies. And so and you, a have period to decide, gangster movie? you have like, to decide whether – and it's the problem that I had with Raising Arizona that I don't have with this. And I don't know why one makes engages well, me and the other doesn't. Yeah. But like – One was about Hayseed Hicks and this was – Right. But like the, like the dialogue is just as written. Yeah. You know, it's sure. just as removed from All their movies are like whatever. that though. That's what's so great about the Coen brothers. Right. No one talks like that in real life. Right. But also all movies. Right. Yeah. Uh, or whatever, arguably. Um, I don't know, but like, so Ebert's saying, like, I just didn't, it just didn't, mm, which yeah. is hard for a guy whose job is to be objective and go this and then this. Right. And also subjective and go, I felt this and I felt that. Right. To go, it felt like this doesn't feel phonier than The Godfather, certainly. No. Right? But The Godfather was probably more naturalistic at the time. Right. Uh, and probably not in conversation about this movie. Like, it wasn't. Compared to, yeah. Although I did read a thing that Tom Hagen is one letter away from Tom Regan oh, or Reagan. Interesting, you know. Yeah, there's there's echoes in. They apparently there was a lot of the third man in this movie, but I've never seen the third man. I so. haven't either. But it ends at a funeral in the woods and somebody taking a car. I don't know. That's Hodgman's favorite movie, supposedly. He went with Avengers, but he went with Avengers. Yeah, we'll so, have to watch Third Man together. Uh, yeah, and tell Hodgman about it. Uh, and five questions, Ben. First movie you remember seeing in the theater? Did Ghostbusters come out before E.T.? No. E.T. was earlier. I, you they know were what? I vaguely remember. weren't they? I don't know. I vaguely remember. Or no, E.T. was 82. I, I, I remember Ghostbusters more. But the thing is, I remember seeing a preview for uh-huh. Ghostbusters. So there was a movie that I saw before Ghostbusters uh-huh. where I saw the preview for Ghostbusters and, and like that preview owned me. It was like spooky card catalog coming out. Yeah. And like, it was building a case for like ghosts are the scariest shit in the world, uh-huh. and I was in an, I was seven or eight, going, yeah, no, I agree, yeah. ghosts are scary. Like I have had nightmares. <laughs> I know what that is like. I know that ghost thing, and I am not interested in this movie. And then the turn of who you're going to call, bum bum bum, yeah, yeah, like those guys. I am seeing this movie. Then it got light, yeah. Um, so 
whatever the movie was that had the trailer for Ghostbusters uh-huh. is kind of the first, but I don't remember what that movie was, so Ghostbusters. Okay. Uh, first R-rated movie. Oh, the first R-rated movie I saw was a movie called Police Academy. and I, oh, saw, yeah. I was nine years old, uh-huh. and I saw it at Brian Rothstein's <laughs> birthday. He was turning 10. Uh, and my parents were livid oh, really? that a nine-year-old saw a boobs movie. Uh-huh. And so early in my living in Hollywood, uh, I happened to meet uh, David Graff, who played Tackleberry in the Police Academy yeah. movies. And I told him – we had a – a, a small conversation about a local taco restaurant, uh, Henry's Tacos in the Valley. As you do. And then I was like, look, I got to tell you, because I was young, and uh-huh. that's when you have to tell somebody something about yeah. them, that they're not a part of the story. But I, was, <laughs> I told him, like, Brian Rothstein's birthday. I got in a lot of trouble. And David Graff, a very nice man, said to me at 21, uh, so he said, there's a certain part of you, like, back in the, in the, in the backmost section of your brain that correlates me with your burgeoning sexuality. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I guess. And he's like, that's great. It's nice to meet you. What like it was weird just a weird, like, let me, let me be, let me make myself a part of this story that, uh-huh. that we're in and let me be genteel <laughs> about it and, and funny. Like it was such a warm, dumb, like, hey, we're strangers, but let's do a bit together. Right. You know, it was the yeah. bonding of a bit between strangers. <laughs> and I remember him well. He died in the, in the early aughts, I think. Um, oh, yeah. But remembered by me as a nice guy, right? <laughs> and and not as a like part of my burgeoning sexuality so right. much as like my burgeoning Hollywood uh, celebrity. Yeah, uh, it's just people. Yeah, and that's a nice guy. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, we walk out of a bad movie. Yes, love it. That reclaimed time is magic. Paul F. Tompkins talked about how empowering that is. He and I have walked out of movies together. Oh, really? Yes. Which one? We two. Uh, we walked out of Intolerable Cruelty by the Coen Brothers. He mentioned that, but he didn't say anything about you. No. When I tell a story and Paul's there, I will mention Paul. It's not necessarily <laughs> always reciprocated. Um, and I, I don't begrudge him that if you're listening, Paul. Uh-huh. <laughs> Cut this out. Um, yeah, we walked out. The, the uh, I don't know if he said, but when uh, a, an argument between two lawyers goes uh, poorly for George Clooney, and then Catherine Zeta-Jones walks out with uh-huh. her client, and George Clooney turns to his client and said, that went well. Yeah. Paul and I looked at each other and went, shall we? And we really? walked the hell out of that movie. See, I like that movie. Well, that's fine for you. Uh-huh. Um, the, and it probably turned around after that scene, that yeah. dumb scene. But uh, that's one of the Brian Grazier Coen Brothers movies, so lesser Coen. Lesser he Cohen. complains about that, um, too. <laughs> but uh, the other movie that we walked out of was Kung Fu Hustle. He did not mention that. Well, then you've got an exclusive on your hands. Okay. <laughs> we walked out of Kung Fu Hustle after so long – in it that neither of us had a sense of whether that movie had an hour to go or 30 seconds to go. <laughs> we were just done. Yeah. We were just exhausted by it. They're, like the stuff of it, the fun of like exaggerated uh, stuff because it's a Kung Fu movie. Yeah. Uh, never took off. Mm-hmm. Like it should have been clips that you send around on YouTube. Like, isn't that funny? Yeah. Nah, not a movie. Not a movie. Uh, but we walked out of there and it was that thing when you walk out of a bad movie reclaiming your time. Right. Like this is time that you have given over. You uh-huh. have already ceded this time to the movie. So you get it back. Everything you do in that is special mm-hmm. and glorious. Like yeah. I advocate for it. Uh, I'm all for it. Uh, number four, do you, uh, do you have a guilty pleasure movie? Um, 
I don't are, are think you more so. into reclaiming your time? I'm not like here's the closest I get to that. One time I was really like food poisoning or viral episode or something yeah, like good, really sick movies, really sick. Yeah, and turned on uh, the modern remake of the movie Hairspray, uh-huh. and in my delirium I was like, "This is the." Best movie of all. And I still have like a soft spot for this movie. I think that some of the songs are catchy. Uh-huh. Like I would never sit and watch the whole thing. Yeah. Like what I've watched, I'm like, okay, some of it is all right and some of it is not. Um, but like I, I thank that movie for getting me through. Yeah. Like the the fever, the peak fever moment of like everything's – I'm going to die here. But no. No, if Edna Turnblad does – Dances the dance or whatever. <laughs> right. Like, and, good. and also, like, that there's a big final number in that movie that may as well be Farrell's song Happy. Like, they are, uh-huh. in my mind, identical songs. And maybe it's, again, because of the fever. Right. Because <laughs> of the, the sick. <laughs> the but as close flute. as I get to, like, a, a guilty pleasure is, like, there's some good songs in Hairspray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then finally, movie going 101 with Ben. Uh, what's your ritual at the movie theater? Uh, it depends on. Um, the movie and the company. Like I, I tend to be a good. Um, uh, what do you feel like? I'm fine with that. Like, oh, but if I'm, that's if nice. I'm, yeah, and it depends on you know, am I having dinner after? Have uh-huh. I had? Di- is this my dinner? Right. But like, I know, so, like w- one friend of mine is like, we, I got to get popcorn and put milk duds in it, and that, like that kind of ritual thing. Yeah. Uh, I like to go to a theater with assigned seating. I like to sit two thirds of the way back in the middle. I like to. I like a popcorn. I like a Barks Root beer because yeah. it has caffeine in it. Yeah. Um, That's Tig's drink. Yeah, yeah. I heard that on the Tig episode. I was like, yeah, good one. Uh-huh. Uh, smart smart Tig. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have something in common. If we ever go see a movie, we're both going to have the Barks Root right. beer. Right. Um, I don't – I don't – I like I'm, I'm averse to sitting in like on the sides mm-hmm. of the thing. Like why, why having a, uh, an immersive experience if you're going to – be aware of the fact that you're getting an angle on the screen. Yeah, um, I'm with you there. Uh, if I'm if I'm candy, which I tend not to be, I think in the modern iteration, I'm a peanut M and M's gentleman. Yeah, but as a kid, it Me was too. Junior Mints all the Junior Mints ninety percent, Raisinets ten percent of the time. Okay, like my brother was a Snow Caps guy, yeah. which is like that's why we're not close. Yeah. <laughs> all right, thanks, buddy. This is a lot of fun. Me? Yeah. All right. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Uh, how, how, can we zoom out and hourglass this thing and like, what have we learned? No, that's it. No, we're done. All right. All right. It ended? Yep. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that one. If you were a Coen Brothers fan and a Miller's Crossing fan, I can't imagine that you wanted any more on that movie because we really got into it. And, uh, the discussion continued after we left. We went and had some great Chinese food in Eagle Rock and kept talking about Miller's Crossing kind of for the rest of the night because that's what Ben and I do. We, uh, we, we get into some great conversations together and he's, uh, he's one of my best industry pals. Can't wait to see him again. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Follow him on Twitter at B N Acker, A C K E R. Uh, he's always doling out the funnies there and go check out Thrilling Adventure Hour. Uh, if you haven't listened to that yet, it's really great and features just some of the best, uh, coolest actors and comedians in, in Los Angeles. So that is it for this week. Uh, look forward to Mini Crush coming up on Monday. And until next time, why don't you check out a foreign film for a change? Because reading is fundamental. Fundamental.
Movie Crush is produced, edited, engineered, and scored by Noel Brown from our podcast studio at Pond City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Honey German. And I'm Carolina Bermudez. And, and this, this is Life in Spanglish. And you know we're cooking it up in here. We got that arroz con pollo waiting for you. Why are you looking at me so confused? Because I'm like, what we cooking? We don't have a stove. <laughs> you got the bajo. I'll get, you know, the, you got the mangu. We got it all for you at Life in Spanglish. I need a sancocho if I'm getting any type of food. Listen and follow on the iHeartRadio app or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Robert Evans host of Behind the Bastards, and It Could Happen Here, and uh, generally a guy who spends a lot of time bummed out about the state of the world. So in July of 2019, I traveled to northeastern Syria for a bit of a shot in the arm. And I got it when I discovered members of a feminist, anti-fascist, revolutionary project who are working to build a more equitable society. It's a crazy story, and you can hear it all on The Women's War. Our first episode drops on March 25th. Listen to The Women's War on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.